Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey everyone, welcome to Eating Crow. I really enjoyed this latest episode with Ravi Rajani. Ravi is a coach and a consultant. He helps leaders in one-to-one coaching learn how to be more confident, present better. He's also a sales thought leader. And, you know, Ravi's mantra is, I can get up in front of an audience and I can own the room. So we did no rehearsal. Uh, I threw some questions at Ravi that were some zingers. He handled them with incredible grace, and that means he can walk the talk. You know, what he's doing at such a young age, it's 30 years I've been in this career, and I'm still learning some of these techniques. He's got them down. He's a joy to have on the program, and he shares some really constructive tips on how to be an effective speaker using villains, storytelling, metaphors, and really understanding the room to adjust your delivery style. Closes with a story that he calls Don't Try This at Home. You need to hear it. It was pretty risky, but it worked for him. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. Let's jump right in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to, I think, what's going to be a great episode of Eating Crow. I've got Ravi Ranjani, who is an incredibly gifted speaker, but he has a background that we're going to tap into a bit. And what I like about this is Ravi's target audience is the people listening to this podcast, leaders and entrepreneurs who struggle with communicating their value proposition in an effective way. And it has to do a lot with storytelling. And Ravi, you are a storyteller. I'd like to think so, man. I suppose this podcast will be the test, you know? <laughs> yeah, if you don't pass this podcast test, your career is over. Yeah, I'm done and dusted. <laughs> Off LinkedIn straight after this. <laughs> exactly. Have to go to TikTok and rebrand. Hit TikTok and rebrand or go back to MySpace and see if you can figure it out. <laughs> MySpace. Now that is old school, man. Well, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember that. Other people might not be. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm curious about the... Okay. Several photos you have behind you, Roger. Oh, yeah. I don't know if anybody's ever asked you questions about these or not, but that's a that's an incredible set of characters. Mm. Why is that Muhammad Ali? So there's Ali. Yep. Gandhi. Gandhi. There is Bruce Lee, and then there's a few quotes which yeah really resonate with me. And what are the two quotes? So one of them says, "If you can't stop thinking about it." Don't stop working on it. And the next one is don't pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. Love that one. Yeah, I love the I have, one. I, love I have that in my uh, kit. It's actually in our kitchen. Oh, really? I'm not kidding you. Really. Same, or same, same quote. Love that. Love that. Yeah, yeah. Bruce, Bruce Lee, for me, is a personal fascination. I've ever watched his documentary, but it's he's ridiculous. I mean, can you imagine if we had him for, in this age? Completely, completely agree. Imagine him sitting there passing on knowledge to people who are trying to, that'd be amazing. Imagine him on a LinkedIn Live. <laughs> <laughs> one million followers, day one. I'm fascinated by how you, and, and you actually tell a bit of the story where you realized, boy, people struggle with delivering their message. And mm-hmm. I want to jump into how a leader and entrepreneur can learn from someone like you. So your background is in sales. Yeah. You help kind of grow a couple different companies. Yes. Jumping out to do this on your own. Yeah. Big risk, right? So that we're going to tap into the entrepreneur side first, then get into leadership. 
what was that transition like? I mean, did you did you have a bit of a cushion to give you some runway, or were you just jumping over the cliff? Describe that that point in time. So weirdly, you know, over the when I left the corporate world mm-hmm. in 2016, so I worked on the trading floor at Citibank back in 2016, and then I left. I was I was involved in sales leadership in different mm-hmm. startups, but I was also dabbling in different entrepreneurial pursuits and passions that I was moving forward with. So I suppose it wasn't like the classic story that you may hear of sure. somebody who goes in the corporate world quits and suddenly they've got this seven figure business and they've got this. It, it was kind of a gradual process where okay. I started testing the waters with TV, radio, building a personal brand, you know, helping different startups uh, build out their sales teams. And over time, it grew into what I uh, left my full-time role in the sales world to do this year, which is helping leaders and entrepreneurs become confident speakers so they can actually deliver high-impact presentations. And I wouldn't say it was it was as... It may sound like it if, mm-hmm. if I was to tell the story, okay, this year, I didn't expect to be having my own coaching and consulting business this early. But then again, it's been something that I suppose has been in the background for, for many, many years. I had a coaching program in 2018, which was a career coaching program mm-hmm. um, whilst doing other, other pursuits. So it's kind of a weird thing. I'd say I've always been that individual since I left. Even just before I left, I was always interested in the entrepreneurial world and dipping my toe in it and just, yeah, just figuring out, just experimenting. You know, I think that's something we don't do enough. We don't experiment enough. And we all get caught up in that fear loop of I am this, I cannot be that, you know? Yeah. And it goes to your first quote that you mentioned uh, when we were before we started recording. You know, if you're thinking about it all the time, you should be doing it all the time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it it goes back to, you know, as I said, earlier this year, I I was, you know, a sales leader for a startup over here in London. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you'd asked me in January, what would be happening in the world in October, I definitely wouldn't have said where we are right now. But with it has come a lot of introspection Mm -hmm. and looking at my value system and what aligns with me and outcomes what I'm doing now. So, it's it's been a pretty cool ride over the past few months, you know. Yeah, no doubt, and you've leveraged the LinkedIn platform tremendously. So, I, you know, there's people that they're not willing to put in the grind. They think I do one post and I'm going to I'm going to find success. Or why did only five people look at this? Mm-hmm. I spoke to a gentleman in the Philippines yesterday who reached out and said, "Pete, I love what you're doing on LinkedIn. Uh, I yeah. love the videos, the stories. Mm-hmm. Tell me what that looks like." He goes, "I get five looks at my videos." Mm-hmm. And, you know, we spent some time talking about what he could do differently and how to bring value and how to focus his audience. And, but, you know, he, he, by the way, this is a very, the reason I took it, he's a very willing participant. Okay. So he was diligent about pursuing, asking legitimate questions. He wasn't just thought, he literally wanted to learn. Yeah. And I think about conversations with you and Alex and Jonathan and and Billy and all the other people that have been generous with their time. Yeah. You know, I'm not, at the status you guys are at, but I thought, man, if this gentleman's interested in learning, I'd love to be able to help him and just share some information because I love to see people experimenting, right? And that's what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And I think you've hit something which is super important, man, which is this concept of, I think the problem is, is we want things so quickly Mm -hmm. and the lack of impatience 
which I'm impatient, right? I'm impatient. But there's one thing Gary V says, which actually really, it stuck with me for years, which is be impatient in the micro, but patient in the macro. Absolutely. And if you think about it, it's for any entrepreneur, it's, it's what they really have to embody when they're growing their business or even as an entrepreneur growing their business. And going back to um, what you just mentioned, the, the one post goes viral there's too many stories like that and as a yeah. result you if that's all you see and read and hear then what do you think is the norm oh i put out this one post it goes viral i build a seven-figure business <clears throat> doesn't work like that <laughs> are you using any kind of methodology or a third-party group to help you drive connections on linkedin or are you doing it organically so I actually got on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm re very, very recent to LinkedIn. I only got on LinkedIn on March 22nd or 23rd. I can't remember. No one of those two days. So yeah, March 22nd, 23rd. And it started with a 30 day video challenge. And what happened was I actually, um, when you say, when you say uh, connections, do you mean going through sales navigator, adding people messages? Yeah. I mean, navigator or just trying to build your audience and your connections. There are, there are groups out there. I was approached by a couple this week that said, look, I'll do 60, 100 connection requests a day for you. Yeah. Got you. Got you. And I, I can tell when those come into me Yeah, that that's not the person actually writing. Uh, got you, know. you. So full transparency on this. I, I hired, an agency around a month ago and what they said is is we want to help i i wanted to start connecting with more people mm -hmm. and getting my uh my offer out there yeah so what i didn't want though was the classic hey thank you for connecting i'm been looking for people in the da -da -da -da. so yeah. what we did was and i used them for a month and it was really really interesting because i was i was really interested to see the results they sent the first connection request, okay? Mm -hmm. But then I went in with a voice note and I was sending around 40 to 50 voice notes a day for yeah. a month. And it was crazy. Um, may, maybe less actually, maybe around 30. On some days it felt like 60, I'll tell you that. But mm -hmm. I was doing it for a month. And I can tell you now, there was not one person that told me, gave me anything rude. Go away, this is automated. They were fascinated because most people weren't using voice notes. Mm -hmm. and also the communication thing that you and i focus on the communication strategies it is one form of prospecting it's one way to stand out so for me actually there's there's a nice blend between the both of them i don't know what you think well i i agree because i'm struggling with I, I recognize there has to be some scale aspect of what we do yeah but there has to be a differentiator right if i get a text thing that says hey saw you do this would like to talk yeah, I can tell that's been pretty automated, or at least it's it's someone sitting there that doesn't bring the ideas or content that I bring. Yeah. The voice the voice notes for me are fascinating, and I'm really becoming a big fan of the video yeah. note. Right? Yeah, yeah. So when I first reached out to Alex, he shot me a video note back in 15 minutes, and you're absolutely right. There was no discussion about whether or not this guy was authentic, or yeah. whether he could speak. And what you do, Raji, right? You're teaching people how to communicate verbally. So if you come back with a verbal note to me and I can hear the tone in your voice, the pace, the authenticity, I'm going to go, well, that's probably somebody I could work with. So very clever to use the outbound automation, but then personalize it with something you're bringing value with. And again, it's all about bringing value. 100%. And I think you mentioned something there, which I struggle with and did struggle with before, which was I, I want to have scale with my mm -hmm. outreach, but at the same time, I don't want 
to be the robot. It's like, right. it's like, cause I don't want the brand to be known for that, but I want scale. So I found that voice note was such a nice way to break it up. And like you said, if, you know, with, with what you do and what, what we both do in this space, you are a product, you mm-hmm. are a product. And as a result, if you're a salesperson and you're, you know, you are selling, say you're a sales coach and you are teaching somebody the art of prospecting and how to get more at-bats to close more deals. Sure. Well, if you use an authentic and really different methodology to reach out to people, that is the proof in the pudding. They may not ask for testimonials, etc., because you you are the test. You've just done it. Absolutely. And I, there's this concept you had earlier about patience. Yeah. And we're running a sales training for our, our whole sales account management team on Monday. And it's interesting. Oh, our cool. product team, our development team, and our operations team all raised their hands and said, "Can we attend?" Oh, nice! They all okay. want to. They all want to participate, which is great. Yeah. I, it's one of the first times we've got the whole group back in the office. It's. Yeah. I think yeah. it's going to be yeah. partly visceral, but what we're trying to mention to them is this this balance between patience and persistence. Yeah. yeah. So you know the LinkedIn outbound and building a network. I, I said, "There's never been a sales tool like this, mm. period, mm. where you can instantly find people that you're targeting." and understand their entire background with ever, without ever speaking to them. Mm-hmm. So the patience part comes in is you need to build a bit of a relationship with that person, mm-hmm. find out that they're willing for a two-way communication. Mm-hmm. And then if you sense that they perceive you to bring value, that's when you make the ask. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing is commission breath, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've all I haven't heard that term before, but I like that. You know what? I heard it from a from a guy called Marcus Chan. I was on a call with him a little while ago, and I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, "That is phenomenal." I'm stealing that, so I have to credit you there, dude. If you're listening, but, that's all right. It's on the black market now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, we've all made that mistake. Let's just be real. Let's not pretend that we are like these individuals who don't ever make the mistakes. We've all made the mistake oh. of going in too early with the pitch. We've all made the mistake of you know reading a client wrong, reading a customer wrong. But the truth is, is it's about not, it's about just having the self-awareness to self-diagnose and, you know, pivot. We're just not perfect. We're just not perfect. And I think that's part of the problem in society today. We just want to be perfect. It, it, everybody does. And that's why they don't put their first post out. They want to make it perfect. Exactly. Yeah. Putting something raw, it feels uncomfortable. And yeah, I, I can even tell that the posts that I, that I write, even if they're written, that are more raw and real, do better than the ones that I'm putting a lot of production time into. Same. It's, yeah. just, it's just the way, you know, it's sometimes the, uh, the people don't resonate, you know, like the Ty Lopez, Hey, look at my Lamborghini. You know, this is my, the problem is, is that there's nothing wrong with inspiration, no. but people can not always relate to that, but people can relate to the story of my partner having a go at me because I left the washing machine, washing in the washing machine without putting it in the dryer three days in a row. Like, and, and they get told off for that, right? Like people can relate to those stories. So it's, yeah. it's sometimes relatable. It's just so, it's not the perfect, I did this, then it got to six figures, seven figures, and here I am. People are like, mm, what's the missing link? Like, Yeah, one of my favorite lines from Caddyshack is, is uh, when Lacey says to Chevy Chase, I'm sure you have stories about your balls landing in the woods. And, you know, and he's like, yeah, my, I have a couple of those stories, right? We all do. We all do. So, Robbie, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to jump into a couple of things that our audience can resonate with. So we, we hit on this early. When you're thinking about an investor presentation. Yes. And, you know, you're, by the way, an entrepreneur looking to raise money 
they actually approach that differently than a salesperson. A salesperson walks in, this is my job, I've got to execute, I might love what I'm doing. An entrepreneur walks in and says, this is my lifeblood. I mean, this is, this is my family's success, my whole company, I have a lot on the line. Mm-hmm. And asking someone to give you money is a different proposition than someone doing a sales transaction with you because they're trusting their money with you to grow. When you're thinking of three tips, if I'm if I'm sitting in front of an entrepreneur about ready to give his first investment pitch, what are the three? I mean, there's dozens of things in your coaching process, but if you were to pull the top three things yeah. that that person has to think about in that ten or fifteen minute presentation, what would they be? Oh, okay. You, now you know this is unscripted because I, I haven't uh, seen I'm, these questions. You're right. I haven't hit you with this. That's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm putting you and your product to the test right now. Hell yeah, let's do this. So. I'll say the number one, number one thing that comes to mind immediately is if you take Steve Jobs in Mm -hmm. 1984, he released a Macintosh and what he did was something very, very interesting. He actually, at the beginning of his presentation without saying, Hey, by the way, this is my product. This is the big problem we solve. He introduced a villain. And in that story, it was IBM. So what he did was he presented the, the antagonist right? The, the person who is the villain of the story to then reveal the hero, which was uh, the Apple Macintosh yes. at that time, the release. So one of the things that I think we all do, and we've all done rather really, really early is we teach too quickly or we tell too quickly. We go through the features too quickly versus 100%. telling a story and actually creating a big problem because there's there's one thing saying the big problem today is there are 15,000 people who are and that's what happens we throw stats but the moment that you present the villain and create an environment where a big problem exists your solution then becomes the painkiller versus the vitamin and the problem is is if it's the vitamin it's a nice to have do they really believe that it's something that is going to change the world and realistically you know change their their fund and actually create a real roi so i think really really subtle and simple but storytelling is something that a lot of people would say oh but i don't want to tell my story i can't tell stories it's it's a business presentation but that is one quick way straight from the steve jobs playbook he did it again in 2007 with the iphone right smartphones at that time were the um were the villain so sure i mean he he did it he did it very very well so i think that's that's one tip i would say tip number two would be when it comes down to the the actual story that you're telling people now mm-hmm. the problem is is uh, with, with regards to your product the problem is if you are a tech a technical founder or a technical CEO. The problem is, is not everybody is going to fall in love with the tech in the same way that you are. Because just because you love the features and all the cool things the platform does, it doesn't mean that the investor who is maybe not a technical individual, but somebody who's commercially minded wants to know, okay, give me context around this. So I think one quick way to actually give context is take, for example, if I tell you a story about this new product, and then I talk about it in an extremely technical way, which goes over the head of the investor, but then I relate it 
to the fact that you know this investor is a big soccer fan like we spoke about at the beginning yeah. and you say actually the equivalent to this product is seven uh, football stadiums it could you know the water that is inside of here is the equivalent to seven football stadiums of chelsea football club powerful and they metaphors go, oh okay yeah. So it gives it context. I mean, that's a really bad example, but you get you get what I mean, right? You give the story context. Now I'm not gonna be able to get seven soccer stadiums full of water out of my head the rest of the whole, rest of the podcast. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's like you know the for example the time taken to actually uh, get from A to B right now is equivalent to three full marathons, but right now it's you know at the average speed, but right now it's bang bang bang. So it just makes Brilliant. it more relatable. So it's the KYC Brilliant. of knowing your room and creating context for your story. Yeah. And then the final thing would be is the interesting the interesting thing I think that we often miss and I, I relate this back to a pitch that I was in. I was in a room, uh, I think it was late last year and it was for series A funding and we were in the room and it was myself at the time, the CEO, the chairman and the other investors. And one of the things which is extremely apparent is, is they really, really, really care about you as an individual and the team that you have with you. And I think sometimes the biggest problem is, is we think it's the best product that will win or the, the biggest, the best solution that wins. But the truth is, is the best solution with a poor team who don't have a solid go-to-market strategy to actually take it there won't do the, the, the money that's going into the business justice. But actually, uh, a solution which needs work, which the smart money can actually help refine with the right team, they can pivot. They can pivot. And that's, yeah. that's really, really powerful. And I think don't be afraid to actually discuss yourself, the team, and the why behind the mission that you're on, because that is just as important because people will buy into you. You know, so, uh, Robbie, you've kind of passed the, uh, what are the three most important things in an entrepreneur needs to present test right off the cuff. I did not give you this question ahead of time. So brilliant. <laughs> ding, ding. Brilliant. Yeah, ding, ding, ding is right. So I, the, the, the story part, I've watched your, your, your video on the Steve jobs, you know, methodology. I, I saw mm. that, you know, probably a couple months ago and it's fantastic. The a couple of things that were really important in your three, your three bullets and I've experienced this and I've seen it happen many times. Our, our sales team still does this and our company is, you're so proud of your tech. You're so proud of your differentiator that we skip right past the why and we go into the how. The how is boring. The how is really, really boring. People don't care about that. You, you know, creating the villain, identifying the fact that you are the hero in this story is more, is really important because people emotionally connect to something. Now they're rooting for the they're rooting for the hero. They're rooting for you to be successful in the rest of the presentation if you do that effectively. When you get into the how, you've almost jumped back to the index or the appendix, right? You know all the definitions of the words. You don't care about that. There's no emotion in that aspect of it. So we've had to try to rethink our sales presentations, and got we're still evolving, right? So the fact that we've pulled the how out, our product slide, solution slide, and our new sales deck is one slide. Nice. It's a 15 slide deck. There's only one slide on, on how we do it because everybody has a house slide and the differences are nuanced. A lot of it has to do with a combination of people and technology. The, the metaphors, and I, I wrote that word down because when you talked about 
describing how this product could X fill up something faster or run faster, or whatever. That's the metaphor, right? The marathon yeah. or the soccer stadium, such a powerful tool. The last one, I couldn't agree more. There, there's so many people that forget that when I'm sitting across from you and I'm considering investing in your company, Ravi, I'm looking at you going, there is, there's absolutely 100% certainty that something's going to change in your business environment. You're going to need to pivot. Yeah. And if I don't believe you can pull that off, I'm not giving you my money, regardless of the widgets. So wonderful, wonderful tips. I'm with uh, you, man. And I think you mentioned something really, really interesting, which if I had a tip number four, I would have, I would have probably. Oh, we get a bonus tip. We got to write yeah, that down. Well, actually, it's, it's yours. So I'll, I'll okay. give it to you. But it's, it's the whole concept of less is more. Yes. And <laughs> the problem is, is we want to fill our slides oh, with thousands of words. Yeah. Yeah, because actually what we're worried about is being found out. What we're worried about is being exposed. It's all about us versus weirdly, think about it. If you go to, if you go buy, you've got two products. One is $20,000, one is $3,000. With the $3,000, they're stacking the value. There's so much everywhere. There's this, there's this, there's that. With the $20,000, it's very clean, it's simple, mm -hmm. and it's very focused. And sometimes that less is more makes you feel it's more desirable. I don't know about you, but that's what I think when I buy. So that's why I think other people may think the same. Yeah. And they're, they're moving to a very different buyer persona when they yeah. go from 3000 to 20,000. Yeah. And you don't, you made a great at 3000. I have to sell every feature all the way up to 20,000. Yeah. yeah. It, it reminds me of a great story. I, my first startup in Southern California, yeah, yeah. Uh, the founder of the company had had founded a, a very successful software company, left, sold it, had made a lot of money. And the other guy was the president. So yeah. they this guy reported up to him. And uh, the president was bothered because he had bought a BMW 750 yeah. or 740. I think it was a 740. The guy that worked for him bought a 750. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was on the elevator and I said to Cole, I said, Cole, well, what's the difference between a 740 and a 750? Because it seems to drive John nuts. He said, well, um, he could get everything I have in my car, but he had to ask for it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There he, you just, go. he just dropped the microphone, set it down and said, walked away and yeah. said, I, I just made one. Per just you said, I, I went right to the 20,000. I didn't, I didn't work my way up from the 3,000. I just went right there. Yeah. And, you know, that exposure piece, I'm nervous. I have to get everything out there because then I don't feel like I have to remember it. Right? People put all that stuff in there because they feel like that slide deck is going to be a crutch. Yes. And it, 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 by the way, it can't be a crutch. We, we train all of our people. You have to be able to do that presentation without the presentation. Yes. Period. Yeah. And if you're comfortable doing that, and the, here's another tip that I want to get your feedback on that I found to be extremely effective. If you, if you're in a live presentation, sometimes when we're doing this, Robbie, we're presenting to a crowd, there is no two-way dialogue, right? It's a keynote. You walk off the stage. You don't know the feedback. An investor deck or an investor presentation or a sales presentation, there's going to be questions. Yes. The reason people put all that information on their slide is they're afraid if they get a question, they don't know how to answer. Mm -hmm. And I tell our team, say you don't know. You, yeah. Ravi, that's a wonderful question. I don't know the answer to that right now, but I'll have it for you by three o'clock this afternoon. I love that. I, it's, it's hugely important. And I think you mentioned something which is interesting, which is, tackle the objections before they arise no Correct. doubt but it doesn't mean that your slide needs to be a verbal vomit but the no. truth is is the biggest fear that i see leaders and entrepreneurs face is the the fear of the unknown which mm -hmm. is in an impromptu speech shoot how am i gonna 
actually handle myself? What am I going to say? How am I going to start? How am I going to finish? But actually, by saying, I don't know, you immediately become relatable. But by saying, I'll do whatever it takes to get you that information by 3 p.m., you come across as a safe pair of hands. And the truth is, is going back to the investor is they don't want to deal with, they, they want to deal with somebody who can give, as I said, less is more quick answers, but also that isn't hiding behind a persona mm -hmm. who they think they should be versus being them. And the truth is, is we're not always going to get it right 100% of the time. There's a very subtle uh, psych psychological approach to saying you don't know as well. You've yeah. inherently made the person who asked the question look smart. Exactly. People want to feel smart. So yeah. if I say, Raji, that is, I've never been asked that question before. That's a really intelligent question. I've made you look good in front of your peers. There's a warmness that starts to appear in you. And then we build a little bit of a relationship 100%. because now you feel like you can trust me. 100%. So wonderful, man. I can't believe we got four tips out of that. That's, that's brilliant. Uh, flipping, flipping direction here a bit. A lot of leaders particularly industry leaders are asked to do keynote speaks or, or, or conference speeches. I do a lot of speak, speaking at conferences. Yes. So now you don't get the feedback from the audience. Yeah. How do you, how do you personally maintain your energy through a 30 minute presentation when the lights are kind of blaring, you can maybe see some, you know, some feedback and some smiles or some laughter, but yeah. what is it that you do to, to drill deep in when I'm 20 minutes in and I don't feel like they're connecting with me? How do you, how do you resurrect that energy? So actually I, I focus on something at the very beginning okay. to ensure that that does not happen. Or if it does, maybe I'm in the wrong room. Here's what I mean by that. I very focus good. on stacking the energy at the very beginning. So okay. if you think about it, take a look at Kevin Hart, Eddie Murphy, Russell Peters. They, they'll walk on and be like, how are we doing? And I, Ooh, everyone's like, yeah. And they're like, what's up? What's going on? London. They're like, yeah, what's going on? US. And they, they, what they're doing in the room is, is they are, raising the energy mm -hmm. so they can capture the one thing that matters, which is attention, because that's the currency. So what I need to do at the very beginning is stack the energy over Zoom to get yeah. their attention so I can keep it. So I then have the opportunity to actually teach because I can't teach you something if you haven't lowered your barriers to the point where you say, ah, Ravi is the correct person for me mm -hmm. to teach this problem or he has my attention. Otherwise, I'm thinking about what's for dinner tonight. Let me scroll my ex on Instagram or, <laughs> or whatever it could be, right? Sure. What One way to do that is at the beginning, instead of what's going on, London, woo, type in the chat, ladies and gents, what is the number one thing? that you did this weekend, which whatever it might be. And then you're getting responses. That is your clapping. And then what is the number one thing that you want to get at the end of this presentation? So you would have walked away and you're like, I'm a happy person. So what you're doing is, is you are immediately figuring out, okay, where's the energy in this room? Do I have their attention? And two, am I in the right room? And three, how can I pivot at any points to ensure that I resonate with the room. Then you can segue into your story, which is now you've got the attention, now you can keep the attention. Then once you've kept it, you can teach and set yourself up. It's almost like you're good at this. I'm trying to figure this out. <laughs> you should really go do this for a living. <laughs> so it's, it's, by the way, this is almost validation for me because these are some of the things I strongly believe in that I'm trying to coach our teams on. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. You, we all, I mean, I've done probably 5,000 presentations and there are times where I, I'm like, geez, am I getting this right? Am I delivering the message? A couple of things you said there that are so powerful and you subtly brought in Zoom, right? 
Yeah. Our world has changed. You and I would do this live in front of customers and audiences. I love feeding off people. I love the one person in the audience I can tell I don't have. And then I go get them. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm pulling. What's your name? John? John, why are you looking at me that way? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just disarmed it. But in a Zoom call, it's so hard, especially if you've got, you know, the Hollywood squares, we call it up there. The, the chat idea is wonderful. There's a couple of things that come out of that. You mentioned pivot, which is so important. But if people feel like they can engage with you and you're not going to robotically walk through a slide deck, they are going to lean forward in their chair and they're going to engage with you. Because the last thing people want is another, like you said, 30-minute slide deck where they're going to be checking you know, Instagram and looking at the recipes for this afternoon. Identifying the goal, it's back to, I'll bet in 99% of your presentations, you, could, you don't even need a visual. If you know their goal and you know your topic, you can tweak your story and the characters and the metaphors to drive towards that solution and help them understand how you're going to solve their problem. If, but you have to be prepared, right? That preparedness is you shouldn't be in front of that audience if you're not the smartest person in the room on that topic in general. It doesn't mean somebody you're going to be talking to at a customer doesn't understand database structures three times better than you. That's okay. That's not your job. Acknowledge that. That's fantastic. I love the idea of engaging with them in the chat initially and telling them, go look at the chat, right? You know, how many of you guys walked your cat this weekend? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And, and also the interesting thing is, is so for example, I was on a webinar on Monday night. Okay. And it's 45 entrepreneurs and leaders in this room. Most have their videos off, right? Yeah. That's, that's another thing. Mm -hmm. So then they start switching some of their videos on as, as the, as the first minute goes in and I see this one lady, I won't mention her name. I see this one lady and she's working on the phone, doing other things whilst she's listening. I sure. And by the way, disclaimer, don't try this at home, please. Like it, it may not be a good fit, right? It could be, it could be too bullish, but anyway, here's what I did. I said, you know what I love? And I called out her name and I said, I love the fact that you are multitasking as well as you're listening to me. Because when I mentioned this specific part of the story, I saw you smile. I know now I have your attention. And then it was like, oh. <laughs> then she suddenly came to the camera and she was engaged yeah. throughout the rest of it. And it's like being in school. If you know your teacher is going to make you read the book, but is never going to ask you a question, you're not going to take as much in about the book because you know you're not going to be tested and that's right. the way i think about it in a zoom room where if you keep people on their toes and it doesn't have to be in an abrasive arrogant or invasive way but find a way to ensure that people know man i need to listen to this because i don't want to be called out no one likes to be called out right by the way that's good advice don't try this at home don't try that you, at home. you, you have got to be a confident speaker to pull that move off I mean, and also you could, you could immediately get, a, you know, you've got a hate, suddenly you've turned a fan into a hater because maybe they were listening. Yeah, <laughs> if that camera went off right away, you know, you've lost her. Oh yeah. You've lost them. That's it. So like I said, don't try this at home. I, it felt right on the spot. It felt, it felt good in the yeah. moment and I went with it, yeah. but there, there's plenty of times where that could go, no, seriously wrong. Well, you did it. You paid her a bit of a compliment as you did it, right? You're multitasking. I saw that you did engage, which means I've got you. You've kind of subtly said, I'd like you to engage. And also the fact that I could, I could hear her, see her rather, like yeah. I did actually see her smile at that point, yeah. which shows that, you know, you are also watching, observing, listening, yeah. you're not just focused on yourself. So 
yeah, I think um, I think that time, hey, it, it worked, but you know, it's it's not going to work every time. So you've got to be quite, um, you you got to pick your moments, you know, you got and you got to do what's right for you. Just you know, one thing I hear about all the time yeah. is is, oh, Rav, you may do it that way, but that wouldn't work for me. And I agree. There's certain things that you know you could do that would work extremely well for you, Peter. But if I did it, it's yeah. like. Rad, that's completely lack of connection. It doesn't work. And that's the problem with we model mm-hmm. our mentors, which that's what we say, but what we actually do is copy and we become somebody we're not. And that's when a dis- that's when a disconnection lies. Yeah, I think in your in your trade, right, when you're dealing with somebody who wants to learn how to present, you have to sharpen their mold. Right. You're mm-hmm. you're you're working with what they have. The objective is not to be the next Ravi. That's a hard thing to do, right? And when you look at people who create incredible content. I mean, I knew right away, in fact, my, my son who, who graduated from college, he saw one of Alex's videos. And he, first thing he said to me is, Dad, you could never do that. <laughs> so, if you try that, I will never, ever like one of your videos again. And I, I said, you're right. I, 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 there's a different level of talent associated with being able to pull off a video like that. I mean, when you guys mm. do Lead, Laugh, Love, all four of you guys are very, very confident, but all four of you do things very uniquely. Right. Mm. I mean, I literally look at the content you four people put out high level of talent, but extremely different styles, mm. extremely different value propositions. You've, you've, you've created your own brand and you're not trying to copy each other, which is so important for people to recognize. You, you don't have to be the next Robbie. You've got to be you in a way that's improved and confident and, you know, capable. So you, I appreciate the kind words. And like you said, yeah, that's the worst case is, there's nobody, you know, when people say in a sea of salespeople mm-hmm. offering the same product, for example, or the same solution, they're like, how do I differentiate myself? And it's staring at you in the face. <laughs> it's it, yes, your company's methodology, proprietary methodology, which is different, etc. But it is you, right? It is you because, you know, I take this back to, you know, sorry, sorry to I'm going off on another story. No, wonderful. I go back to the world where I was on the trading floor, you know, mm-hmm. selling a very highly commoditized product we'd have the phone ring, 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 ring. And it could be a corporate who wants to uh, buy some currency because mm-hmm. they need to manage their uh, foreign exchange exposure. They could have five other investment banks on the phone and everybody quotes the same price. Sure. Now that's an example where, and we have to be careful about this because being liked is not the key to, to winning the sale, but the relationship there works, yeah. right? But then flip side, in you know the tech startup world I was in, you can't have a personal trainer who you like who then doesn't deliver results. And it's the same for in the tech startup world, just because you like somebody, they don't follow through. It doesn't mean anything. So you've got to get the fine balance. But it's interesting going back to that first example of being on the trading floor, there was an example where you were the reason why somebody would buy. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, I look at if I were to watch you and Jonathan and Brian and Alex, right? When I watch one of Jonathan's videos, he has developed a very unique delivery and style, right? Yes. He's, he's at, he's, he's telling you, in fact, he's interesting. He kind of brings a fear, right? He talks about a fear that I've, I've, I've sensed this thing. There's always a fear that he's trying to solve that he creates the, he creates the villain and the villain is something I'm scared about LinkedIn. I'm nervous about. And then he walks you calmly through this logical thought process in a very deliberate cadence, right? He has a very deliberate style. Other than the fact that he looks like Fabio and he could beat me up. He, (laughs) you know, I I feel like if I don't do this, Jonathan's going to come to my house and thump me. Right. (laughs) And then, you know, I've I've done a podcast with Brian and it was very different. You know, Brian has this humorous side to him and our podcast went 
a completely different direction, right? Really? It really? was it was unique. It was very serious, and we we tapped into this highly educated PhD side of Brian, where yes. he deeply cares about organization. He he gave me the, the term organizational culture. So again, I'm he's in the same video with you guys, right? Lead, laugh, love, and I'm I'm watching how different his approach was and how credible it was, but a very different delivery. And then I look at Alex. There are very few people that are as polished and confident in creating a video or in speaking. Even he's not doing his, just in an interview. He's so articulate. 100%. And confident. And then, you know, your approach, again, completely unique. But at the same time, you guys are bundled together when people think of LinkedIn creators and influencers. So almost an important message that I want to bring back to my people. You're going to find all sorts of different styles. You need to pick your own style and follow a framework yeah exactly and it's all about freedom within a framework it's like mm -hmm. saying to somebody here's a sales script don't go a line off the sales script i mean even though the best tv shows and movies in the world are scripted right yeah. we've got to think about making it our own it's like it's like think about it nobody i don't mind being cold called here's the weird thing but i do, i love a cold call which handles me like no other cold call even Correct. though they could be using the same script so the interesting thing is, is when it comes down to the videos, you know, yes, there can be frameworks. For example, you know, don't release a 10 minute video, release a 90 second video. Bingo. Ensure, you know, like there are certain things which are, you know, quote unquote, uh, to do's, you know, don't do this, do this. But the truth is, end of the day, it's you. It, it, it's you. And, you know, like you said, it's really easy to want to do, you know, Jonathan Palmer style, you know, mm. Brian style, Alex Sheridan style, but it's about finding your own voice within the framework. And I think once you start getting feedback by showing up consistently, you become more confident in that voice and showing up more powerfully with that bulletproof level of confidence. Yeah. Authenticity is such a big part of that, right? Um, hmm. I love the bulletproof kind of, kind of concept. So, you know, Robbie, we, we talk about eating crow. I, I had, I was thinking to myself, what's the best eating crow question for Robbie? And I thought this is a brilliant question, but best question I've ever asked. Hit me. What's the worst thing you've ever done during a presentation? Worst thing. Where you walked off and went, Oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. Oh my God. The worst thing during a presentation or the worst thing that ever happened during one of your presentations oh god this is good i need to think now i'm actually gonna think um the worst thing that has ever ah okay here we go so <laughs> so i was a graduate at uh as i was entering the world of investment banking this must have been 2000 and 13 ish okay. well 2012 2013 something like that yep so <laughs> i we got put into these groups okay and we had to deliver a financial markets update hey this is what's going on in the currencies market the equities market this is what's going on blah, 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 sure, right sure. And, it, and it had to be i think it was around i think that was the the topic anyway i digress it was it was a financial markets related topic and it had to be around 10 minutes Okay. And I remember before we got put into these groups, and I remember that there was, you know, there was these super smart people from across the world, highly competent, who now had to get up in front of the entire class, who you were just, you know, just really started to get to know. Sure. And, you know, how you communicate is really going to tell them a lot about you, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, this is a future leader here. Or, yeah. oh, okay, this is someone to look out for. 
So I remember we, we built together this presentation and at the end we were like, okay, can we get to the office at, you know, 8 a.m. or whenever it was to practice before we, before we go live? And one of the ladies at the time, she was like, no, I'm not doing that. And we were like, oh, why? And she was like, well, I just don't have time for that right now. You know, I've got this, this, that. I'll just show up and execute. And the, the consensus was, look, we really should practice and show up. Then what happened was, was on the day, it came to her part mm-hmm. and it was silence. It was just like, dude, you couldn't hear. It was mm-hmm. And it was how we felt as a group. Right. But the beautiful thing was, was at that time, three seconds of silence can feel like 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. Now, I remember we didn't want to, you know, also feel like somebody who is, uh, I don't know what the right word is, is like stamping on somebody's authority or time to shine. Like we mm-hmm. didn't, we didn't want to feel like, oh God, we're saving her. So, you know, immediately when it got awkward, we you know, using improvisation techniques, found a way to swiftly move through it in a comfortable way, pick the situation up and move forward. Mm -hmm. But at the end, you know, she, she really, she apologized. She was like, you know, she came over to me and she was like, Rav, I'm really sorry. This, et cetera, you know, this, that happened. And I remember feeling like how awkward that felt for us as a team, because yes, we, you know, made uh, that imperfect situation come across seamless and fun. And it was like, ah, you know, it, it is what it is. I can't remember what, exactly how we cleaned that situation up. But at the time, how we looked as a unit, it, I remember I was like, we just don't look prepared here, you know? Right. And I remember that happening. I remember that happening. It was interesting. So when you think about helping someone prevent that, because a lot of times investor pitches involve a CEO, a CFO, and maybe the founder, the chief technical wizard that created yes. the widget. Um, you're giving them a coaching lesson that says, hey, look, preparing for this makes sense. Yeah. Right. You can, some people can like, as you mentioned, improv their way out of that. Very few people yeah. can, by the way. Sometimes those things just die a very, very painful death. <laughs> yeah, that nearly did. But to be fair, in that situation, everybody came together very nicely from what I remember. Everybody came together. Very so afterwards, nicely. lesson learned, team bonded, moved on. Yeah, and even on the spot, as in, I can't remember how long, you know, I vaguely remember that it felt awkward at the time. We were all like, do we save her? Do we not? But very quickly, we came together and we, you know, improvised and it, it was fine. But, you know, how, as you said, you know, the are, are you looking for one tip here, by the way, on how to. No, just a manage- story. Oh, just a story. I thought you said that there's a tip there. So yeah. I, I think I think the tip there is right. You, you have to be ready in any kind of situation in, in front of a, 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 in a, in a presentation environment for something to go wrong. I mean, I, I think about it like this. My girlfriend, she rides a Harley Davidson, right? If she told me to go jump on that Harley Davidson now, I'd be like, no, 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 that's not happening. I'm scared. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. That you could go do that. So, but for me, I'm scared about how I'm going to get on the bike and how I'm going to get off the bike. I'm not scared when the wind is in my hair and I'm going at a decent speed. I'm actually in flow then. Same with the speeches and the presentations. If you think about how you're going to start and how you're going to finish, you will feel confident, appear confident, and your audience will feel that they're dealing with a seasoned professional. So there's another podcast right there. If, if your girlfriend actually has a Harley Davidson. Dude, I'm that, not joking. That's yeah. phenomenal. <laughs> like you go look at our garage there's a harley in there and I'm, everyone I'm from, laughs at me i'm from milwaukee so that is you know that's the that's the that's it man that's milwaukee 
Wisconsin, <laughs> right there. That's fantastic. I love that. I love that. By the way, I'm, I'm a little concerned about her riding on the wrong side of the road. You know what? When we came to San Diego a couple of years ago, I got in the car and I was like, I'm freaking out. I don't know how I'm going to ride on the other side of the road. I spent a couple of minutes doing it. And I was like, so, you know, you fancy driving? And she was like, yeah, go on. And she loves it. But I was like, the whole time in my head, I was like, I'm going to be driving on the wrong side of the road. There's going to be a truck coming at me. No, no thanks. My first time in the UK was a recent, I'd been out of school for a couple of years. I was an engineer at Kimberly Clark and I went up to Barton upon Umber. So I was up and I, and I landed, I'm trying to think of the airport I landed in. It was probably, I think I flew into London and went up to Lincolnshire, if yeah. there's an airport up there. And by the way, they didn't tell me that in the US, every freeway or highway sign has 85 North, 85 South, East, West, right? Mm. There, they just, in the UK, they just named the cities, right? So many kilometers away. Yeah. So I didn't, I had no sense of direction and <laughs> they just gave me the keys. I'm driving to the opposite side of the road. It's two o'clock in the morning. I was so lost. I stopped and knocked on a farmhouse in the middle of the UK in England and it's two, three, and I knocked and this poor woman, God bless her, answered the door. And I said, ma'am, I'm, I'm incredibly lost. She's like, you bloody little Yankee. She's, <laughs> she goes, you need to go this way. And I eventually got to where I was going, but it was, yeah. uh, it was one of those nerve wracking lessons. Like I just have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. I learned the country is fantastic afterwards. I mean, thank God for the Tom Toms and the sat navs of the world. I remember my mm -hmm. father when I would be in the car, when I was younger, there'd be a yellow pages out or A to Z, sorry, not yellow pages, A to Z, which will give you the map. I'm like, how, you know, I can't even read coordinates. I was so bad at geography at school. I mean, how do you do that? Yeah, they're pretty powerful devices. Yeah. So Robbie, you, that's a great, that's a great metaphor, right? You are the Garmin or TomTom -tom of public speaking. <laughs> yeah, I like that. You know You're what? the navigator. I am your very own TomTom, -tom, my friends. You can use that, by the way. That should be your new tagline. The RavNav. That. Sounds Perfect. so cringy. So I think your audience is cringe there. But hey, if you want it, it's $9.99. Ravnat for $9.99. Yeah. It's like Terminator. Eventually it's gonna Skynet's gonna it's gonna come back and kill all of us. Yeah, exactly. Don't want that. Robbie, it's been a pleasure, man. I really appreciate it. Especially the generous amount of time you gave us today. There's a lot of nuggets in here. Uh, and I think our leaders and entrepreneurs at Eating Crow Podcast are gonna really get some value here. I hope so, man. And, you know, one quick thing to acknowledge you for, when you reached out, your outreach was fantastic. Oh, thank you. Like, it was so amazing to, you know, like, we speak about the outreach, going back mm -hmm. to the very beginning to tie everything up. It was just so, it was just so human. It was so great. And also, you clearly have an interest in your guests and also the space that you're in. So, man, it's genuinely, you know, when people say, hey, it's a pleasure. No, I mean, it's actually really a pleasure genuinely well i appreciate it it's fun to have someone who's so passionate about what our audience is trying to figure out yeah and yeah. And, and i gotta tell you sometimes i get done with these podcasts i've done many of them there's there was only one i finished and i thought guys complete phony this <laughs> one oh yeah i got done I'm like i'm yeah complete phony didn't even didn't even publish it um yeah this one it's remarkable at a young age how much you've nailed the core material here Right. Thank and, it, you. and you're not you're not reading out of a book. You have you've been through the grind and done these things. So that's where our people, our audience finds value is they can respect someone who's been through the grind. So well done. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate All right, Robbie. It. Well done. Talk to you All soon. Right. Hey, folks, that was Robbie Rajani on Eating Crow. If you want to reach out and learn more about how he can help you 
Extend your skills as a presenter and as a leader. All of Robbie's contact information on LinkedIn and his website are in the show notes. So hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video.